This is Pennsylvania Legacies, the podcast series from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. I'm Josh Rollerson. If you don't know the name Ralph Brock, you should. He was a member of the first graduating class at Pennsylvania's State Forest Academy back in 1906 and a pioneer in the forestry profession. Brock is also believed to be the nation's first African-American forester. He's one of several notable Pennsylvanians the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources is recognizing this February during Black History Month. One of the reasons that we like to look back is to think about what we can learn related to moving forward. And moving forward, the agency needs more Ralph Brocks. DCNR has a diversity of visitors to our lands because we don't have entrance fees and they are available to all. We don't see that diversity reflected in our workforce. And so we are really trying right now to create pathways for for young people to explore work in conservation, work in public land management, work in recreation. We'll visit the intersection of black history and conservation in Pennsylvania's history. That's coming up. Local watershed groups are active throughout Pennsylvania, but they haven't always been well organized across municipal and regional boundaries. Well, PAC's program director for watersheds, Susan Myrov, is trying to change that. She's the organizer of Watershed Connections, a statewide conference for watershed organizations being held next month in State College. She's here now to talk a bit more about why you should attend and what you can expect when you do. Susan, welcome. Thanks, Josh. This is the first gathering, the first statewide gathering of uh, watershed organizations in Pennsylvania in a few years, I understand. That's right. There was a tradition uh, from the early 2000s to hold this conference, which is um, geared towards all of the uh, the many hundreds of watershed groups in the, in the state. Uh, but there hasn't been one since 2010. So it's, uh, yeah, the first one in seven years. So you said hundreds of groups. Do we know exactly how many, or is that even known? Um, the, the estimates I've heard and seen um, over the years is somewhere between three to 400. Uh, I have a list of about 250, um, but I know some are not, you know, don't have a presence, for example, on the web or something like that. So we're hoping to get a lot more of those smaller organizations to the conference. So it's kind of a loose-knit community, but we're trying to make it a little tighter. Correct. Yeah, one of the main reasons for getting people together is so that they can um, communicate with each other and learn from, you know, different groups. So what are, uh, you're expecting groups from all over the state, I'm imagining. What are the different kinds of uh, issues and challenges that people are facing in, say, the Philadelphia area compared to maybe the Northwest? Well, I think the um, th- there's two different ways to think about it. From a capacity standpoint, uh, in other words, how the groups work sort of internally with their administration, I see, we see a lot of similarities. Uh, folks trying to um, maintain their membership base, um, recruit volunteers, and continue the work that they do. Um, so for that, that seems to be universal, making sure you have good, good active members and, and sustain your organization over time. Other issues which are really closely aligned to regions um, may have um, a, a, a big difference depending on where they're, what part of the state they're from. So we have groups, for example, that work along Lake Erie that would have some issues related to lake uh, issues. Uh, the groups in the central part of the state would be looking at things like um, monitoring uh, for uh, acid mine drainage or uh, fracking. Uh, here in the southeast, uh, where I'm from, uh, a lot of the issues relate to stormwater uh, management and monitoring uh, our creeks and streams for those kinds of issues. So tell me about some of the sessions you have planned. What are you going to be talking about? 
Well, we have uh, four tracks that we've set up. One uh, is actually around organizational capacity. So we're really thrilled to have folks from um, the Bayer Center for Nonprofit Management. They're going to be talking um, uh, to folks about uh, things like how you set a realistic budget for your organization. Uh, we have our friends from River Network uh, coming in to talk about uh, board development, and we'll be talking about things like fundraising. These are all issues that we heard uh, from our groups. Uh, along the lines of more technical sessions, we'll be um, looking at things like how to do stream corridor assessments, um, how to use some of the um, great uh, GIS modeling tools now for looking at watershed impacts, uh, how you would start a citizen monitoring program is another big one that we're going to be offering. Um, another uh, couple of sessions would be around uh, how to develop watershed programs and partnerships, and also we'll be looking at things like watershed policy. Uh, for example, what's the state of watershed groups in, this, in the uh, Commonwealth? So uh, a whole bunch of different sessions that we hope um, will hit everyone's interests. And is this mostly for people that are affiliated with a watershed group or, or a government entity of some sort, or is this kind of open to anybody that's interested? Well, I would say it's it's geared towards those who uh, are working in or with watershed organizations, which frankly can be a lot of different groups and organizations. So we're going to be, uh, we have folks coming from, for example, the conservation districts, uh, the watershed specialists uh, work very closely with watershed organizations. We will have folks from the PA Department of Environmental Protection and the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. Again, these are agencies that work very closely with watershed organizations. We have uh, representatives from Stroud Water Research. That's you know a group that is very much aligned with the aquatic monitoring that goes on. So yeah, so there's all kinds of different uh, groups represented here. One of the sessions that I've read a little bit about that sounds really interesting is uh, geared toward getting uh, getting people help, some like practical guidance in putting together and developing a, a grant application. And you've come up with a, a unique angle on this. Can you tell me about the, the Shark Tank session? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really fortunate to have uh, some of our uh, funders uh, attending the, uh, the, uh, the conference and helping out. And uh, the idea uh, that we kind of talked about, and it was actually generated by uh, Brandon Deal from the Foundation for PA Watersheds, was to have some kind of an interactive and fun session um, about uh, tips for um, having really good proposals. So they, uh, we put together a panel, just like the Shark Tank program, um, of program uh, funding program managers, uh, including uh, Nathan Boone from the William Penn Foundation and Brandon from PA Foundation for Watersheds. Uh, we also have uh, Kelly Rossiter from the PA Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, and Taylor MacArthur from the uh, PA DEP's Cold Water Heritage Program, and they've all agreed to to be our sharks. And we're looking for volunteers who will pitch their their programs and their projects, and they'll be able to get some you know really quick feedback uh, on the project. So we thought this would be a fun way for folks to interact with the funders and also learn about what you would want to have in a, in a good proposal. And an opportunity to get your specific proposal sort of honed, but also just to show up and, and learn from somebody else's experience. You got it. Yep. Yep. That's the idea. And ho hopefully have some fun at the same time. <laughs> this is coming up pretty soon. Yeah, it's actually coming up real soon. Uh, it's the weekend of March 5th and 6th. And we're starting on a Sunday afternoon. And then we have an afternoon of uh, different sessions. Then we'll have our Shark Tank program in the evening. And uh, Monday morning, we'll start bright and early with remarks from both uh, Acting Secretary Patrick McDonald from the DEP and uh, Secretary uh, Cindy Dunn from the DCNR. 
Uh, and then we have a really great morning and afternoon of uh, continued sessions and a great lunch program as well. And this is a DEP, DCNR sponsored event, among others. Is that right? That's correct. The conference is actually part of a PADEP Growing Greener grant that PEC is managing. So this is a, one of the big deliverables for that grant. But we also have had some significant support from PADCNR and also the Foundation for PA Watersheds. They are our two primary uh, sponsors of the, of the program and are helping us with um, some of the costs so we can help some of our attendees you know, come to the uh, conference. So lots more information, including a link to register for the conference, lodging, and so on, all at the website pecpa.org. And if people have additional questions, can they contact you? What's the best thing to do? Yeah, best thing to do is just give me a call or just email me. My contact information is just S-M-Y-E-R-O-V at pecpa.org, or they can just call me directly. And my number is uh, 267-479-6102. All right, Susan, thank you so much. Thank you, Josh. February is Black History Month, when we take time to tell the stories of African-Americans who've shaped this country and their experience within it. When you visit some of Pennsylvania's state parks and forests, you may not realize you're actually standing on ground that is steeped in that history. Well, one of the major functions of the State Department of Conservation and Natural Resources is to educate Pennsylvanians about the historical legacy of our public lands. And this month, the DCNR website is highlighting the role African-Americans have played in protecting and conserving them. Chris Novak runs DCNR's Office of Education, Communications and Partnerships and has been researching the subject. She joins us now to talk about some of what she's learned. Hi, Chris. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Black History Month, typically we recognize contributions of African-Americans to things like arts and literature, science and education. We think about civics and governments, political, religious leaders. Uh, it seems to me we don't hear so much about great African-American conservationists and environmentalists, but that's actually a really important part of Pennsylvania's history. Yes. When we look back on black history in Pennsylvania, we do see links to conservation and at DCNR, history does play an important part in the names of the special places in state park and forest systems and what we choose to conserve also in our work with communities on what they value and things like educational signage in our state parks and forests. So there are a number of connections between black history and conservation and DCNR lands. I think one of the most notable figures would be Ralph Brock. And Ralph was the first African-American forester, not only in Pennsylvania, but in the nation. He, uh, he was among the first class of six foresters who graduated in 1906 from the Pennsylvania State Forest Academy. 1906, that, and that's, I'm sorry, that, I was really struck by that detail. 1906, that's quite early. This is long before most institutions, even in the North, were integrated. It was very unusual, and it's interesting to look at how he found his way there. One of the reasons that we like to look back is to think about what we can learn related to moving forward. And Ralph Brock, who uh, was born in Pennsylvania, was attending high school in Westchester when teachers and a principal noticed that he really had an interest in botany or plants. And at that time, his principal was a friend of Joseph Rothrock, another huge figure in forestry and conservation history. 
And so Rothrock was a teacher um, and was connected to the uh, Forest Academy. And the principal actually recommended Ralph Brock to Rothrock, uh, who became a student and was one of six in the first graduating class. That academy is really significant to DCNR. We have a number of our foresters who actually go through that system. And so it's, it's an important part of our uh, current history as well at DCNR. And that's now part of the Penn State system? Yes, it is Penn State Mount Alto at this point. One of the things that's interesting to learn about Ralph Brock with our conservation work moving forward is that although DCNR has a diversity of visitors to our lands because we don't have entrance fees and they are available to all, we don't see that diversity reflected in our workforce. And so we are really trying right now through an initiative called the Pennsylvania Outdoor Corps to create pathways for young people 15 to 25 to explore work in conservation, work in public land management, work in recreation, in the hope that we can do a better job at at diversifying our workforce. Another interesting figure that you write about is Mose Wharton, who is sort of the, the person most identified with McConnell's Mill before it became a state park. What can you tell us about Mose Wharton? Well, Mose was the son of a freed slave, and he was employed and could single-handedly run the mill that is now surrounded by McConnell's Mill State Park. Once the mill closed as a as an operation, he actually used his own money to repair the mill and for upkeep of the grounds. I've read some accounts where he would often spend a lot of time at the mill and would interact with visitors and, you know, just had a real connection to that place. And that's a spe- That was a special place for him. And, you know, we're happy through signage to, to recognize his role in McConnell's Mill State Park. One of the things that you notice is that in telling the stories of African-American history, that places often are are as important as as people in some sense. And in the public lands that DCNR manages, there are actually a number of important historical sites, including some stops on the Underground Railroad. Uh, What are some of the interesting places that people can check out when they visit Pennsylvania State Parks to, to learn more about black history? Well, in South Central Pennsylvania, as you mentioned, Caledonia State Park, which is located midway between Chambersburg and Gettysburg, it has a connection to the Underground Railroad in that when it was an actual operating iron forge, it was owned by Thaddeus Stevens, but the the man who was the operator of the forge was actually a conductor for the Underground Railroad. And so that um, location played an important role as a conductor. He would meet people who were trying to find their way north and help them get from one location to another. And that forge um, eventually was burned and pillaged because of the reputation of Thaddeus Stevens. Thaddeus Stevens was not African-American, but he was a legislator of the Civil War area and an abolitionist. And so it was rebuilt after being burned and pillaged as part of the Gettysburg campaign. It was went through several owners, but was purchased by the Commonwealth as a forest reserve and eventually became Caledonia State Park. And we do have information on our website as well as at the park about uh, that connection to the Underground Railroad. There are a number of locations throughout the South Mountain landscape, which the department recognizes as a conservation landscape, one of seven in our system. 
and they have been documented by the Franklin County Visitors Bureau through a documentary film that's 15 minutes in length that talks about the Underground Railroad and its connection to some special places in South Central Pennsylvania, including Caledonia State Park. And we'll throw up the link to that uh, film on our website, as well as a link to your piece on the DCNR site, which is at dcnr.state.pa.us. Lots more to learn there. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. You're welcome. With that, this week's podcast is History. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, you can dig into the archive at our website, peckpa.org, where you'll find much more information on the things we talked about today and lots more about all of Peck's work across the state. Pennsylvania Legacies is also available, by the way, as a free subscription through the iTunes Store. You can get it on SoundCloud and subscribe pretty much anywhere else you find podcasts. Your ratings and reviews are very much appreciated. We had some help this week from Commonwealth Media Services in Harrisburg. Thank you, and also thanks to the Center for Media Innovation at Point Park University. A long overdue word of thanks as we've taped several of our recent episodes there at the center. So again, thank you, Point Park. Get in touch with your feedback and questions about the show by dropping us an email. You can send it to legacies at peckpa.org. Again, legacies at peckpa.org. I'm Josh Rollerson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>